Well, good morning, everyone. How are you doing this morning? So um, John enjoyed announcements so much last week that he wanted to do them again this week, and so we decided to switch roles again. So I get to open the word with you, and I wanted to start by bringing out a Rams jersey that, um, no, I'm just kidding. I'm rooting for the Rams. If you didn't get that, it's because last week I cut up a Lakers jersey as an illustration, so I apologize. I have uh, since repented, uh, but I'm... (laughs) But I'm still a Blazers fan. So, hey, we're, um, this morning we're going to continue working through the book of Acts um, through the Resurgence series that we've been looking at. Last week we looked at the first um, part of chapter 8. And so if you've got your Bible with you this morning, you can open that to uh, Acts chapter 8. We're going to dive right back into Scripture. And we're going to look at the second half of that chapter. And uh, I'm going to start off by... Uh, by reading through uh, verses 26 through 40. Now, that's kind of an extended uh, bit of Scripture, so you have to follow along with me as we finish and and read what's happening here uh, in chapter 8. So let's jump right in here to Acts chapter 8, verse 26. It says this. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied. Who can describe his uh, his generation? For his life is taken away from earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 38. And he uh, commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. That is the word of the Lord. Let's pray as we begin this morning. Lord God, we thank you that we can come to your scripture this morning and we can let the Holy Spirit speak to us and challenge the deep places of our lives where we need to not only hear and understand, but need to absorb and put into practice what you're speaking through your words. So Lord, speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
Now, that was a, that's a big chunk of scripture. So let's, um, let's kind of break that down a little bit together. We're going to walk through this. And so, so let's start by setting a little bit of context, okay? So we've got two main characters that are interacting in this text. The first one is Philip. Now, we learned some, uh, some about Philip last week um, as he engaged the Samaritans, right? So Philip, he was, he's known as Philip the Evangelist. Um, we, he picks up that title, actually, in Acts chapter 6. But he was ordained by the church in Jerusalem when he was there to minister to those who had needs, to the needy, to the orphans, the widows, the, the, the ones who had need in the church. He was ordained to minister to them. And then as persecution breaks out, he flees from Jerusalem and he goes to Samaria. And last week we heard about his ministry in Samaria that he tells uh, in a, in a uh, context of kind of confusion over who God is uh, and mixing it with magic and these different things, he speaks the, the word, he speaks uh, to them about who Jesus is and, and they hear and understand. And so we hear about him speaking to the Samaritans and now we get to hear kind of the rest of his story. We're getting to hear him take the next step. Uh, he leaves uh, Samaria uh, at, the, at the prompting of the Holy Spirit and he goes and he finds this person um, who is the eunuch. Now, the eunuch is the second person that is kind of the central uh, person in this story. Now, we know him as the Ethiopian eunuch, but actually in those days, he was actually from modern-day Sudan. So, um, so that is, is a little bit of a misnomer that he's the Ethiopian eunuch. But, and then the, this word eunuch, if you're not familiar with that... It normally indicates a person who has been castrated so that they can focus um, intently on their duties. Now, I prefer coffee to help me focus on my duties, <laughs> but that worked for them. So, uh, Also, he was the royal treasurer. So he's, he's, this, this is a big guy, right? He's, he's like the uh, head honcho guy. So he's the royal treasurer, a significant person. And we know that he believed in God because he had been to Jerusalem to worship. But we don't quite know what that looked like because he was a Gentile, and Gentiles weren't allowed to go into the temple to worship, which incidentally is probably why he was reading the scroll of Scripture that uh, he was reading Isaiah from. He's trying to learn. He's trying to worship and, and, and learn because he wasn't able to learn in the temple. So he had probably been to Jerusalem for a festival. He had probably gone as a pilgrim to worship and be part of what was going on, even though he was not allowed in the temple. So this is, um, this is significant here, these two roles that these men play. Philip, coming from uh, originally from the church in Jerusalem, and the eunuch coming from a distant land, and God bringing them together. And here's why that's significant, because... We're watching Acts chapter uh, 1, verse 8 unfold, aren't we? You remember Acts chapter 1, verse 8? It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem first, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And as persecution breaks out, we're watching this unfold, this story, this prophecy unfold um, of them reaching the nations. And so the Holy Spirit guides Philip to Samaria, and then from Samaria, 
he encounters this eunuch from a distant land, a Gentile that's going to hear the gospel. Today, it should be a natural part of our lives to demonstrate and declare the gospel, to live with this kind of intentionality to share the story of God's people. But sometimes that's a challenge for us. Sometimes it's a challenge for us to really share our story, to share with, us, with, with other people about God's kingdom. And so that's the challenge that we're walking through here in chapter 8. It was kind of last week we talked about kind of the, the surrender that it takes to surrender to God the barriers that hold us back from really engaging and stepping forward into who God has called us to be. And this, uh, this week, we're talking about how our story becomes their story, how God has uniquely gifted us with a story, with an experience, with, with uh, a, a testimony, a witness to share with those around us. And so Philip, in his engagement with this Ethiopian eunuch or Sudanese uh, eunuch, he, he shares with us some key things about sharing our own story. And so that's what we're going to dive into. So first this morning, sharing your story includes listening. That's the first thing that Philip demonstrates to us. In fact, twice in this passage, God speaks something very specific to Philip. So in verse 26, we just read this, so you will remember the words, the angel of the Lord says, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So in verse 26, the angel of the Lord speaks to him. And then in verse 29, a few verses later, it says, the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So two times in this, in this um, passage, the Lord is speaking directly to Philip. Now, it seems pretty hard to miss the angel, an angel of the Lord speaking to you, right? That seems like it would be kind of a no-brainer, like, okay, an angel of the Lord appeared to me. But we're not always the best at listening, are we? Listening can be a challenge for us. Have you... Um, Either if, if you're either a parent, think about your kids listening to you, or if you aren't a parent, think about what it was like to listen to your parents. Because there's a big difference between hearing and listening, isn't there? Oh man, let me tell you. In our house, with a two-year-old, a three-year-old, and a four-year-old, there's a big difference between hearing and listening. Right now, my wife has no voice, and so they can't, they don't even hear, so... They're enjoying that. She's not enjoying it so much. But, uh, you know, it's, it's hard for us to, to sort through the noise sometimes and to hear, and not only hear, but to listen. I found this. Um, this is listed. This little description is listed in the University of Minnesota. I know that's kind of obscure, but in this, this student handbook. This is in their student handbook. It says this, it says, hearing is simply the act of perceiving sound by the ear. If you're not hearing impaired, hearing simply happens. Listening, however, is something you consciously choose to do. Listening requires concentration so that your brain processes meaning from words and sentences. They're, I mean, can they be more like blatant with their students? Like, 
You have to listen to the presentation to your professors. You, have, you can't just like hear it and be present. You have to engage it. Well, there's something there for us that listening is not passive. It's active. It's something we have to be poised and postured and ready for. We have to engage it. You see, hearing, it puts the responsibility on God to, to communicate to us, to get our attention. But listening puts the responsibility on us to engage with God. There's a big difference there. See, God is always willing to engage with us. He's always willing to meet us and speak to us and give us promises and give us direction. He's willing to speak to us. But are we listening? Are we actively engaging? Are we trying to be present and give him the place to do that? And so Philip here, he, he's actually listening to the Holy Spirit speaking to him. He's in a place in his life that he's ready. Now think about the context here. He was in Samaria when this happened. Like the, the, the Lord had just done miraculous things in Samaria. Like ministry was going well there. And now the Lord sa says to him to leave. I'm not sure if that's what he was listening for. He was probably like, like okay with what was happening there. He, he probably could have stayed there and, and founded the church and planted that and, and saw, saw that flourish. But he's at a place where he's listening. And so the Lord directs him to move, to move on and to go and find this eunuch. When it comes to sharing your story, listening is critical because it's the way the Holy Spirit directs us. We can't do that on our own. We don't know the directions on our own. On our own, we get stuck. On our own, we would all still be in Samaria because it was good there. But the Holy Spirit had something else that he was working. And Philip was able to engage that because he was listening. Sometimes I have a hard time listening um, just when I'm caught up in the busyness of life. And, um, you know, I, I get set on kind of my agenda for the day, my schedule for the day, and I might be riding in an elevator or sitting on an airplane next to someone or whatever my, my day or life holds. Like, I, I'm usually like a focus-driven person. I've got a plan. I'm, I'm going somewhere. And so I have to take a step back and make sure that even in the busyness of my life, I'm listening. It's a posture that we have to constantly take. So how do we make sure that we're listening? Let me just give you a few practical things of how we can make sure we're listening. Number one is make it, make it practical. Don't make it some big, mystical, spiritual experience that all the conditions have to be right and you have to be in your prayer closet or whatever your, your special place is to hear from God. You have to have candles or like those things don't matter. It's, it's a very practical thing of giving the Lord place to speak into our lives. So make it practical. Let, let him just give him space in the course of your daily life to be able to speak to you. Also, make it a habit. Set aside time just to listen. Set aside time. Don't, don't let listening be the exception. Like, okay, once a week, I'm going to give him some time. I'll just listen. Like, make this a regular habit of your life. Of we're going to give him place in our life to listen. 
to slow down, to quiet ourselves, and to listen to the voice of God directing us. And guess what happens? He'll speak to us. Now that might not be an audible, booming voice from heaven. It might be a whisper or something that you just know, like this, this is a thought that is coming to me, but this is not me. I wouldn't think that thought. <laughs> that's, not, that's not something that would come naturally to me. The Lord is speaking something there. Another thing is that, that just a practical way to, to listen is to work at it. Some of us just need to work at this. We need to give it a little bit of time as a practice, as a habit, to, to work at listening. Because remember, listening is active. It's something we engage. If you ever have gone to a marriage counselor, they'll talk to you about communication and about active listening, that it's something we have to engage. And so we have to work at that. We have to, it's something we have to actually put some effort into. And then there's also, the, just lastly, just some practical things is learn how to, how to discern God's voice. There's a couple resources that I wanted to give you because that can be kind of be something that you, you sort through and you're like, I don't know if this is God. I don't know if this is me. I, I don't know how to tell the difference. So there's a couple books I want to um, just uh, show you. Uh, a couple things here. A classic book is Hearing God's Voice by Henry Blackaby. That can be a good resource to you. And then uh, a new one that I have not read yet uh, as a disclaimer, but I have heard that it is excellent, is uh, Mark Batterson's new book called Whisper, How to Hear the Voice of God. And so if that's something that you struggle with, like, okay, what does that look like? I know I need to be listening. I know I want to be directed by God, but I don't know quite what that, how to do that. These are a couple resources that might be helpful for you. So first thing, the first part of sharing your story to other people so that we can see the kingdom of God advance as God designed it to, is to listen. It's for us to be people who are listening. The second part of sharing your story is obeying. It's actually obeying. Now, why would we listen and, take and actively engage in, in listening if we didn't plan on obeying? Well, sadly, we do that all the time. <laughs> We, we will engage and we'll listen, but we might not like the answer. We might not like what God is telling us. I don't know what Philip thought about the Holy Spirit or the angel of the Lord telling him to go because I think he probably liked what God was doing in Samaria, but he obeyed. He obeyed that, and he got to be part of something much bigger that God was doing. Have you ever known God was speaking to you, but you wanted to do the exact opposite? Dominic, my, um, my two-year-old, this, this is Dominic, okay? He will listen to, you, to what you're saying, but it doesn't matter what you're saying. It's the exact opposite. That's his, always his response. So like, for instance, you say, Dominic, do you want apples? You want some apple slices? He'll, his response will be like, no, apples are yucky. But... So this is where the child psychology comes in, right? But if you, if you go to him and say, Dominic, would you like some apples or some carrots? He'll say, oh, I'd like some carrots, please. The most cheerful, the most polite response, and he'll, he'll take the apples. And we do that too, don't we? Because we're control freaks. So we would rather choose than to be told. So it's hard for us to obey what God is speaking us Uh, speaking to us to do sometimes 
And part of that is because we know that obeying God is risky business, isn't it? He might tell us to do things that we don't like to do. He might tell us to do things that are uncomfortable for us. He might want us to talk to someone who we're, we're not on the ends with. He might, he might be doing us, uh, calling us to do things that are uncomfortable, that we don't want to do. And you're thinking, oh yeah, sign me up for that. I want to listen to that. But look how Philip obeyed. So in verse 26, again, the, the angel tells him to go from Jerusalem to Gaza. And it says this. I love this. It says, that, this is a desert place. Oh, awesome. Okay. You're taking me out in the middle of the desert. Great. I can't wait to go. Why doesn't, ever, why doesn't God ever say, John, I want to take you to Italy. Can you, just, can you go to Italy for me? Amen, Lord. I will go. I mean... I would settle if God said, God, John, I want you to go to the Olive Garden for me. Okay, Lord, I will go. But sometimes he speaks the hard things to us. He tells us to go to the desert. He goes, tells us to go to the hard place. But look at verse 27 again. What's Philip's response at verse 27? It simply says, he rose and went. There's no negotiation. There's no hesitation. It says he rose and he went. And then look, look back uh, at verse 29, the, the other instance where the Holy Spirit speaks to him. He says, says, go and join this chariot. Okay, so some stranger, um, what does that look like, right? Philip's thinking, okay, so you're going, telling me to go out to the desert, hunt down some random guy in a chariot, and go and join him. So, I mean, just what is that going to look like? Hey, Nice rims. What year's your chariot? <laughs> By the way, have you heard about Jesus? Like, what is that going to look like? You know, these are the, these, this is the thought process of me when God tells me to do something. Okay, like, what is that going to look like? So, but look at verse 30, the very next verse. It says, so Philip ran to him. He ran to him. Again, no hesitation. And God, actually, he arranges this perfect conversation starter. The eunuch is actually reading from, the, from Isaiah. I mean, how, how, how much easier could it get? God's like tossing Philip a softball here. Like, so Philip asks him, do you understand what you're reading? And the relationship takes off from there. The conversation happens from there. When you obey God, he works it out. He works out all of the, the situation. Now, I, I can have this dialogue, this internal dialogue when God tells me to do something. Like, I'm going to say this, and they're going to say this, and then I'll do this as a response, and then they'll want to go here. And it, usually it never works out like that, right? But here's the thing. When we trust God and we obey Him, He works it out. He works it out. He lobs us another softball, and we get to be part of what He's doing. Because here's the key. In your obeying what he's telling you to do, it's not about you. It's about what he's already at work doing. He was already at work in that eunuch's life. He was already at work using that eunuch to not just impact his life, but to impact a whole other kingdom. God was at work orchestrating this, and Philip was just a piece of that. You're just a piece of what God is already at work doing. So don't think that it all rests on you. Obeying God means that you're just going to obey the peace that he's told you to obey, and he's going to take care of the rest of it. So first we listen, 
and then we obey. And this leads us to the third part of sharing our story, which is engaging. Engaging. Now, Philip engaged the eunuch. Now, engaging strangers is awkward, right? I remember when I was in Bible college, every Friday night we used to go to um, Santa Monica, the Third Street Promenade, and we would just go down and we would just talk to people and pray for people and share Jesus with people. And um, that sounds really incredible, doesn't it? It was so awkward. I hated it. (laughs) Can I just be honest? It was so forced. It was really awkward to engage somebody. It was really good for me. It, was, it really helped me to learn how to like bridge the, a conversation with people. But I would much rather that happen out of relationship with people. But, but it has to start somewhere, doesn't it? That relationship has to start somewhere with people. And so we have to engage people. If we are running in the same circles with the same people all of the time, we're not uh, allowing ourselves to engage people. We've got to be open to engaging new people. Now, um, some of us, we, we will use things to, um, because it's awkward, we'll use things to justify our own reluctance to engage people. So have you, have you ever heard this phrase? Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Now, that's a great phrase, and I understand, um, I, I think I understand what it's getting at, but... But that is a famous quote that is attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. And, and uh, there's only one problem with it, is that he never actually said that. So, in fact, uh, the only thing that he ever said that comes close to that is that we need to have our deeds match our words. That's what he's getting at. So we would much rather like just live a lifestyle of doing good things and hopefully somebody will observe that you know, John's not such a bad guy, that maybe there's something like cool happening in his life. What's the deal with that? But here's the problem with that. I can be a good guy and I can live a moral life and it can have nothing to do with Jesus. So we have to use our words, not just our actions. So what St. Francis of Assisi was talking about was that our words need, or our actions need to match our words. He was getting at the integrity of who we are, that we can't be hypocrites about it. In fact, it's, it's uh, recorded of St. Francis that he would preach in up to five villages a day. He would preach using his words, not just the actions of his life. It also says that he was... Uh, sometimes so animated and passionate in his delivery, delivery that his feet would move like he was dancing. I hope you don't expect that today. <laughs> I have a dancing disability, so there won't be any dancing in my delivery today. But for us, engaging can be awkward. It can be this awkward thing, and so we don't. So we just try to live a moral life, but you... You can live a moral life without Jesus, and people never get to hear and experience. I always use the word demonstrate and declare the gospel, because those two go hand in hand together. We have to use our words. We have to actually speak the truth, and by engaging people. So Philip engages, and he does it in a way that is helpful and tactful with this, uh, with this eunuch. 
He doesn't head out to the desert with a sign that says, turn and burn. I'm going to find this guy, and I'm gonna, he's going to read my sign, and he's going to, that's going to. No, he comes, and what's he do? He asks him a question. That's, that, was the, that was the big plan, right? That was it. When he runs out to this guy, he engages a, in a question. Do you understand what you're reading? And, so, and then the eunuch invites him into the chariot to come and explain the scripture to him. That's what, uh, that's what, that was Philip's tact here in verse 30. Do you understand what you're reading? So we've got to be able to engage people. We have to be able to expand our network of relationships to include people that aren't like us, that don't know Jesus, and we've got to be able to engage them in a tactful way that starts a relationship, that starts the relationship. Well, fourth, that leads into this idea of proclaiming. So we engage people, and then we look for opportunities to proclaim the gospel to them. So in verse 35, it says, Then Philip opened his mouth. Okay, words are coming out. He opens his mouth. And beginning with that, with this scripture that the guy was reading, so it's kind of a natural segue that the Lord's giving him. Beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. He proclaims the good news to him. So I, I love that he actually opened his mouth. It, it actually says that. He didn't have to say that. Like, could you just say he shared, you know, starting with that scripture? He no, it says he opened his mouth and to... to to tell him the good news. We have, we have to actually tell people using our words and proclaim the gospel. Now, that's awkward to us again. We, sometimes we don't know how to do that. So, so we either don't share anything or sometimes then in our attempt to, to do it, we go overboard and, and we like just inundate somebody. For example... If you want to engage someone and look for an opportunity for a relationship, it might be a good thing to bring cookies to your neighbor, right? That could be a nice way to engage your neighbor. But going overboard might be that one of those cookies is a heart-shaped cookie with black frosting showing you're a sinner and need a savior. And you're sitting on the doorstep as you meet them for the first time and you're explaining the shapes of the cookie and that the cross cookie shows that Jesus died on the cross for your sin to remove it for you. The angel-shaped cookie shows that we have redemption and that we can go to heaven. It might not go over so well. And your neighbor sitting on, standing on the doorstep is just thinking, Who, what, what is this guy's name? Who is this person? That's going overboard. We don't need to do that, Okay. But we do need to do something. We do need to do something. We need to engage and build relationship. And then we need to look for opportunities that God presents to us. The softball that he's lobbing to us. To speak truth into someone's life. To speak into their situation. Now this is a challenge for me. I, I, I will admit, this is one of the biggest challenges that I've had to learn to overcome is to to bridge that gap from cordial friendship with somebody into actually bringing God into the conversation and speaking the gospel. And that can be an awkward transition sometimes for us. And so we, we, have, to, we have to look for opportunities that God is presenting, and that's why we have to be listening to the Holy Spirit. But the way we do this is by sharing our own story. 
It's by sharing our, what God is doing in our life and being open about who he is in us. That means that we have to share the good and the bad and let people see how God is working in us to carry us through both the good and the bad. It's just being open before people, vulnerable, and letting them see us. Every time we take a team down to Haiti, my, my last talk to the team before we come back is this. God's given us a story now, and he's called us to steward that story. Because we know that what God does in Haiti doesn't stay in Haiti. It's not just an experience that he gives us for that place. It's something that he's doing here among our church, among our city. It's a story now that impacts us and that we have to steward to share what God's doing in us to other people. Well, that's true for all of our stories with God. He gives us a story of something that he's done in our life, redeeming us, saving us from ourselves to give us a story that we steward into the lives of other people. And so we've got to, we've got to be able to proclaim that. By the way, don't get stuck on doctrine or theology. That can be intimidating to us. If you don't feel like you've got that all together, you don't, you don't feel like you, um, you, you have like that whole theological world. I'm not, you're not a biblical scholar. You're not a Bible college graduate or a pastor. So what? You have a story that God has given you. You have something that God has done in your life and continues to unfold in your life, and you can share that with people. Just tell people who Jesus is to you. So we've got to listen. We've got to obey. We engage people so that God can open doors for us to proclaim. And then look what happens. This, the fifth part of sharing your story is ministering to people. Ministering. I love how the eunuch responds to Philip. Look here at verse 36 and 38. It says, And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And, he, uh, and, and then verse 38, And he commanded that the, chari the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. By the way, if you're following along in your Bible, your Bible might not include verse 37, which might, you might have thrown you off. You're like, where is that? That's because the earliest manuscripts of the Bible don't include verse 37 there. So, so it's thought that a scribe actually added those, the, those words in later. So it's actually not part of the canon of Scripture. So some of our Bibles have that as a footnote. So, so but basically what happens, they're, they're going and, and the eunuch responds what prevents me from responding right now to this? You've told me the gospel. You've told me who Jesus is now for the first time. I want to respond to Jesus. I want to be baptized into that faith, into that belief, into who Jesus is. And so right there on the spot, Philip says, all right, let's do it. There's water. Let's get you baptized. He ministers to him right there. Now, you might not quite be ready to baptize your neighbor, but maybe you could. Why can't you baptize your neighbor? I mean, why can't we minister to people? We have the Spirit of God living in us that wants to speak into the lives of people, wants to bring hope and redemption into the lives of people. As Spirit-filled followers of Jesus Christ, 
We can minister. We can impact people for his kingdom. The eunuch hears and he responds and Philip is ready, but, but sometimes we disqualify ourselves. We say we, we can't move into that ministry, so we'll bring them to the church for the church to do that to them. We disqualify ourselves because we don't know enough or we are afraid we won't have the answers. We're not a pastor. We, we're still trying to figure out Jesus ourselves. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter where you're at in your journey with Jesus. You're, at, you're in a journey with Jesus. So walk out your journey with Jesus with somebody else and let him see that. Let him hear it. Um, I think a lot of times it just takes us diving into this. Because we could put a lot of fronts up that, uh, of things that hold us back. And a lot of times it's just that we're just too busy. We're just too busy to engage. Like we would like to get to there. We would like to engage people. But that takes energy. It takes time. It takes investment. We would love to minister to people. But, but we're just not sure if we've got the answers. I want to show you a little clip of my son Isaiah. He's four years old. This was him at swimming lessons this summer. Take a look at this video clip. proud mama in the background there <laughs> so he was the only one in his class that would actually jump off the high dive I don't know if I would want to jump off the high dive so and you can see like there's actually three times where he goes out to the edge and then he comes back and he goes out to the edge now I can do you know we could do all kinds of analogies here because you got you got the people saying, jump, jump, jump. And I, that sounds a lot like community to me. Like the community surrounding you say, you can do this. You can dive in. Like if you're not, little plug, if you're not in a community group, giant, giant community group, <laughs> they will tell you to jump. Okay. And then you've got the lifeguard in the, in the water, right? Like the, um, our, we'll say our pseudo Holy Spirit saying, you've got this. I can do this. You, I've, I'll catch you. I've got you. Just jump in and I'm going to take care of you. Like, it, sometimes we just have to take the plunge. And guess what? It's okay. We survive. And God uses it when we will jump in, when we'll actually dive in. You can minister to people. You can engage people. You can, you can hear God's voice, respond to it by engaging. You can proclaim the gospel through your life. And you can minister in practical ways to people. You can do that. You don't have to be a professional whatever. You can do that as an average, normal person. You can do it. Here's some practical uh, things. Uh, how, how can I minister to people? Number one, speak hope and truth into their situation. 
People are most open when they're going through a crisis. And when you're not walking with God, there's a lot of crisis moments. <laughs> so just speak truth and hope and life into people's situation. You can use stories. You can use scripture. You can, use, um, you can share uh, concepts, whatever. But be hope into people's situations. Help them discover the truth together with you. Offer to, to discover truth. You know, I, I, I look to the scriptures for, for answers and for help. Would you want to discover with me what the scripture says about that situation? Look at that together. Then you don't have to be an expert in anything. You just have to go to the word together. Show them what that looks like. Show them how to read the Bible for themselves. Maybe buy them a Bible that they can understand that has some, some notes along in it so that they have some help. And follow up with them. Pray for them. We can minister to people in real practical ways. Lastly, sharing your story includes repeating. Repeating this process. All right? Now, it's pretty wild the way that this scripture ends because in, in verse 40, or in verse 39, excuse me, it says that the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. So he baptizes the eunuch, the eunuch comes out of the water, and the Spirit carries Philip away. I would like to be a part of that. That would be a pretty awesome ride for the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 40, it says, but Philip found himself in Azotus, in this other town. And it says this, this is really significant. It says, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Why did he stop at Caesarea? Because God called him to stay there and to have an extended point of ministry there. But we see a pattern in Philip's life. He takes care of the, of the widows in Jerusalem. He flees to Samaria and he witnesses to Simon and to the Samaritans. He goes out into the desert and he, he witnesses to the, the eunuch out there. And then at every point of every town he goes through, he repeats this process of sharing the story of what God has done in his life. He shares the good news of who Jesus is. There's something profound about him repeating this process because it wasn't something that he did as a new believer and then it faded away. It wasn't something that he did as this special and unique situation that God was orchestrating at one point. No, he demonstrates for us that this is not an isolated instance. It's the ongoing normal activity of a follower of Jesus. We're normal followers of Jesus. This is a process that we should be engaging, sharing our story. Some of us probably have never shared our faith or what it looks like to discover Jesus. But some of us, maybe we've had seasons where we shared our faith, but, but it's not something that we do on a consistent basis. Philip is demonstrating this is normal behavior. This is norm. We can see people restored. We can, we can help people find freedom. We can minister the Holy Spirit to people. And it doesn't have to be awkward because this is simply the story of Jesus working in our lives. And here's the cool thing. Remember Acts 
This is his design for his kingdom. This is how it expands. This is how he establishes the gospel in the hearts of people. It's through normal followers of Jesus sharing their story on a regular basis to everybody who's in their life. It's a normal part of who we are. Listen, we have a God of freedom. We have a Savior. We have a God that wants to bring hope into people's life. We know the gospel. We can speak the gospel into people, into their situation. We have the Holy Spirit to guide us. But are we willing? Are we willing to do that? Would you close your eyes with me? Just as a point of response this morning, I want you to just kind of think through that process again with me. Because we can get stuck at every stage of that process. And some of us are probably stuck at different places along that process. So let me just ask you, what what are the barriers preventing you from listening intently? What are the barriers holding you back from obeying God fully? What's keeping you from engaging people meaningfully? Why aren't we proclaiming good news with our words? How have you maybe disqualified yourself from ministering to people? And what holds us back from making this a repeated pattern in our life? Lord Jesus, today, we thank you that you have given each of us a story. Lord, your story began at creation of mankind. It culminated in the cross. Lord God, you have given us all a story of your redemption, of your hope, that you can take a sinner and you can restore us. And Lord God, in the natural way that we live out our lives to honor you, Lord, I pray that it would include bringing other people in that, that our story can become their story, that we can be followers of Jesus who help people follow Jesus. Lord, give us your Holy Spirit to help us to listen and obey and engage and proclaim and repeat. Lord, we want to be your people on mission for you, and so, Lord, we pray that you would give us the boldness and the courage to take the plunge, to dive off the diving board into all that you have for for us, to use us in incredible ways to expand your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray.